Hi, I'm Kim, and this is Commanding Conversations. I'm a 40-something-year-old mom that decided that this stage in my life I am not over. I realized that now that my kids are getting a little bit older, that I can still reach out and reach my goals and maybe set new ones and see where I can get. And when I realized this, I saw that having conversations with people, so many others wanted to do the same thing. But something held us back. Something always kept us in the shadows. Well, I'm here to help us break out of the shadows and shine in the light that was meant for us. So I created Commanding Conversations. I would like people to help us share their stories, their experiences, network, and I want all of us to learn how to fail forward, reach our success, get out of our comfort zone, and try to find a way to be the best version that we can be. I know that this is totally possible, and I wanna build a community where we help support each other, have a little fun. Those topics that you don't want to talk about, don't worry, I do. And then we can always end every show with a little advice and a lot of spice. So if this sounds like something that you're interested in, then you are in the right place. So sit back, relax, and join in. Thanks. So what is a commanding conversation? These are questions that I have, struggles that I think we can all relate to, and awesome feel-good stories that are good for our soul. I wanna see all sides of all situations. I wanna put it bluntly, I want to make you think. So my question for you is, do you have a commanding conversation inside you? Hi, welcome back to another episode of Commanding Conversations. I'm your host, Kim, and we are ready to dive in. I have to be honest, I have gone back and forth about a million times of how exactly I was going to title and word this episode. But here we go. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to call this the misunderstanding of Miss Mary Magdalene. She's one holy harlot. Okay, picture it. Have you ever been sitting there, maybe like at a coffee shop, airports are my favorite, and people walk by and you do some people watching, right? And you see a mysterious woman and you start to use your imagination and you start to come up with, you know, your own character of her, whether it's true or not. It's just the way that our brains work, right? Have you also ever made a wrong judgment call on someone? Have you ever assumed that you knew the story that someone was carrying inside of them. Well, I feel like this is a very important time to dive into this topic. So this this story can be heard at any time, but while I'm recording it, it's during Holy Week. And for those of you that follow any form of Christianity, it's the week that leads up to Easter. And I figured with Everybody focusing on Jesus. He's got a busy week this week. I get it. He's got to have his last supper. People got to wash his feet. He's got to have his friends turn against him. And he's got to get tortured. He's got to die. He's got to talk to the devil. He's got to rise. He's busy, okay? So he's going to get enough attention this week. What I want to focus on is the woman that seems to always be around him and by him and supporting him 
However, there's not really much said about her. So my question is, why? Why is she a secret? Why are they keeping her away? What are they hiding? All right, so I'm going to give you a little background on myself. I've said it in other episodes, um, but if this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you are a returner, welcome back. Thank you. Um, I actually came from a very, I come from a very diverse religious, like house divided religious house. And by that, my dad, by that I mean my dad was, um, he was Eastern Orthodox. He was Ukrainian Orthodox. And he came over here from Ukraine and when he married my mom, my mom is a devout Roman Catholic. So when he married my mom, he actually chose to step away from the Orthodox Orthodox side and he chose to stand with my mom on the Christian side, the Catholic side. So needless to say, my dad was a little bit of a black sheep for a while because no one did that. But one of the, I guess, perks, a way of opening up your perspective one of the perspectives that I had growing up is that I got to witness both sides of pretty much the same story, but how it's just retold and through traditions and through reverence and respect. So I also noticed, because as you know, I'm very, very, very inquisitive. There's a lot of holes in a lot of stories. So it started to get me thinking. So with Holy Week coming upon us, everyone knows the whole story, but then there's this mystery woman in the background, and that mystery woman is Mary Magdalene. And I just had some questions, and, you know, I figured it would be a really good commanding conversation. We do know very few facts about her, but I feel like by the time we're done with this, she might be your homegirl, you know? So what we do know is that she was a pivotal figure in the New Testament. And then, again, for those of you that don't know, the Bible is split up into two sections. The Old Testament, that's before Jesus. And then the New Testament, which is all about Jesus. So her role in Christianity's development, it it still continues to evolve and be discussed and be debated. But it's also questioned. So I like to question a question. I have found out so many things about how there are rumors that, you know, she's painted as this, this prostitute and this sinning whore and Jesus took pity on her. And then there are other, there are other rumors that said that she was placed in an arranged marriage and she ran away and Jesus protected her. But the one thing that's constant is that she is right there at the right side of Jesus. He's kind of, she's kind of like his, his rock that he leans on. So I just don't understand why she just didn't get a little more credit. Are you ready? Let's dive in. All right. So the Bible is like the roadmap for pretty much three quarters of the world's religious focus, right? So that has to have some prominent meaning and some definite heavy establishments. What we go by in the Bible, we call them the canonical gospels. Those are the ones that we know that are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And their, their word is kind of like law. What people don't know 
is that there were 18 other Gospels. They were called the Agnostic Gospels, and they were kind of cut and left on the cutting room floor. They have a lot of other details. Why they're not in the original book, we don't know. But we know some of the material that was in there because we can go back and we found other records. And by we, I mean every source that I looked up. But when it comes to this, this interesting Mary Magdalene, like this woman of mystery and suspense, like who is she? Why is Jesus hanging out with a whore? Um, the one thing that is very, very, very black and white is that she's only mentioned 12 times. And by 12 times, I mean 12 times combined among all of the Bible, or all of the Gospels. So for this chick that has a reputation that precedes her, it makes me wonder, she's not mentioned very much, where did all of this happen? There are so many colorful blanks that are filled in, but yet there's no factual basis behind it. It seems that the boys of the Bible didn't really like her. They didn't like to describe characteristics like, I don't know, personality, history, character, family. However, over the centuries, Western Christian doctrine, Renaissance artists, literaturists, and what they would consider like their modern media, totally depicted Mary as a prostitute, a whore, a barmaid, a love interest of Jesus. Then there's even one story where she might be a sister, and that's a little little extra, and I'm not going there. So I want to go, and I want to give you some factual points that I found. I also want to reiterate that everything that I want to talk about today, I am not putting my own personal views, references, religious factor. Everything that I am bringing to the table is coming to you via a certified source. So I'm just the storyteller. Leave me out of it. All right, so we're going to have a little history lesson here. And just to reiterate, these are all factual-based points. My influence is not going to be in any part except for a little sarcasm. I also want to reiterate that I do take this very reverently and very respectfully. I'm just bringing you the story within the story. So we're going to go to 591 AD, and there's this guy named Pope Gregory. And he was actually the first person to not necessarily put Mary Magdalene in a bad light. He spoke very highly, not necessarily of her, but of her devotion and love for Jesus. But this is where it gets good. He also referred to her, referred to her as the anonymous sinner who smelled of, ready, perfume. Per-frickin-fume. Seriously? I mean, I would have been dead years ago because I have a signature scent and... Everybody knows it. They know how to smell Kim. And I mean, if that's a sin, I'm, I'm out. So in Luke's gospel, so it's going to be chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It is referenced briefly that Jesus rid Mary of these seven demons. Okay, how, how are you going to do that? No, seriously, how? The Pope later broke it down that these seven demons were actually what we know now today as the seven deadly sins. So now... Mary is marked guilty of having lust, pride, greed, wrath, gluttony, sloth, envy, oh, and perfume. 
Don't forget. That's a gateway, you guys. It's a gateway. Most people struggle with one or two of these vices, let alone having all seven. I think it's a little ridiculous. So that's like the way that the Western Roman Catholics look at, at Mary Magdalene. Now, the Eastern Orthodox, they, um, they look at her differently. They don't put her in a negative light. They look at her as a devoting, loving disciple of Christ, but then that's it. <laughs> they don't really go very far into that. But I really want to get into the drama because that's what we're here for, because we're here for the commanding conversation. So let's get back to the Western side of Christianity. During medieval times, this is when her branding was solidified. You know, it's like the Scarlet Letter, but BC style. The artists of the era depicted her either dressed very extravagantly or even suggestively, usually in red, which would symbolize passion. And this was a stark contrast from the respected women that seemed to be more preserved in a modest dress. They were pure and innocent and wholesome and naive and submissive and didn't have a brain. No, I'm not. Well, maybe. We'll see. Then Mary Magdalene, she became this focal point, right? Like she was, she was like the bad girl. Like you don't want your kid to be like this. You don't want your daughter to be like her. She started showing up during the Renaissance, during medieval times, in several new drawings. And she was always beautiful and luscious and voluptuous. And she was discreetly covered by her long blonde hair. Now, I'm not being judgy, not at all. I, again, I ask a lot of questions. How many people do you know from the Middle East that actually have long blonde hair? Okay, so it sounds to me like maybe the, maybe the artists of the time were using a little of their own imagination, hmm? So over time, theologians, they argued about this bad rap because there were several Marys named in the gospel. Okay, so side note, I am married into an Italian family. I come from a Ukrainian family. I have Greek friends. I think it's like this in every area. There's about 20 people with the same name. There's like 20 Joes and Greeks have like 75 Georges. And so in the Bible, there were a lot of Johns and there were a lot of Marys like a lot of Marys. So keeping the Mary straight was an art in its own because why wouldn't Jesus want to have someone by his side, his side named Mary when his mom's name was Mary? At least he wouldn't forget, right? Or at least she would hope. Oh, I almost forgot. If you have topics, ideas, if you want to write in and tell me that what I talked about resonated with you, or if you want to be a guest on my show, check out my social pages on Facebook and Instagram, Commanding Conversations on both. Okay, thanks. Bye. So now I'm going to go a little deeper. And I'm going to pull a couple more layers of the onion back. And I know full and well that what I'm about to present to some people may possibly upset them. But you know what? That's why I'm doing it. So there were those other gospels that I was talking about, remember? So those are called the agnostic gospels. They're also known as like the hidden gospels. Um, they were actually found years and years and years later by archaeologists who verified them and then had theologians verify them. And so like they were legit. There are multiple gospels that provide a bunch of awesome details 
about this special relationship that Mary had with Jesus. They said that she had a much deeper understanding of his teachings. In one of the Gospels, the Gospel according to Philip, it described her as Jesus's partner, associate, and companion. Now, those can be three very different or very intimate ways of describing her. One thing they all had in common is that it alluded to the fact that it led to an intimate relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And I say, good, God bless. I mean, the man's going to die soon. Let him have fun. So after Jesus's death, it said that she accompanied St. John the Evangelist, not St. John the Baptist. There's so many of them. And they went to Turkey. And this is one of the 800 stories that I came up with. And then they kind of like, when they went and they spread Jesus's word, but then they kind of chastised her because she married John, but I don't know, I don't understand. Like, was she supposed to just sit there and, and be sad for the rest of her life? It was ridiculous. So the fact that she's, after all this time, she still holds such an aura of mystery, it's fascinating to me. So who was she really? Why the secrets? What are they hiding? So there's two ways that you can look and think of this. And to be honest, it's actually two very solid schools of thought. Martin Scorsese's film, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar, and Mel Gibson's The Passion all show the same story. That she is a repentative sinner, that she made a mistake and Jesus forgave her, and so she owed the rest of her life to following him and spreading his word. And then you get someone that might think a little outside the box and you have the Da Vinci Code where not only was she Jesus's wife, but they even had a daughter named Suri. Now, in all of my research, I couldn't find any concrete evidence about children, lots of theories. But remember, we want concrete evidence. But let's talk about rumors right now. So how did how did this whole like she's. She's a, a broken woman. She's a prostitute. She's a whore. How did this all start? Well, I found lots and lots and lots of stories. One, like I said earlier, was that she escaped an arranged marriage and Jesus was there to save her. Okay, cool. That was very common back then. Arranged marriages still happen today. The next story is the story that I relate the most with. Not because I relate to it. I just think that this one seems to be the most historically fitting for the time. And I can see this happening. It was said that she was a barmaid and that a man was trying to take advantage of her. And when others heard noise and they went out in an alley, they saw that he was trying to take advantage of her. But remember, women weren't worth very much back then. So because she wasn't being submissive, because she said no, the man reached down and grabbed a large rock and started throwing it at her because now she's she's a tainted woman. She is a harlotan. She's awful. She needs to be punished for this. She needs to be punished for saying no. So other men from the bar came out and they all picked up stones. And and I don't mean stones like gravel. I mean like big rocks, like football sized rocks. And they're throwing it at her because she needs to be punished. And at this time, Jesus and his boys were walking down the street and they see what's going on. They hear about the 
out of the hustle and bustle of what's going on. And they go over there and Jesus was like, whoa, wait, what's going on? And he stood in front of her and he turned around and he looked at all the men and the men, you know, they were kind of like, whoa, what's going, what is he doing? And he said, he who has never sinned may be the first to cast a stone. And then we take that a little bit further to the phrase that we all like to use now when it's people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. So it's kind of saying at that point in time that Jesus stepped in, he did help her, he did save her, and it was assumed that she did something wrong, but we don't know if she did or not. So the, down, the Bible downplays her influence and her importance. And I think that's where the wheel in my brain started turning. Because first of all, if there's this man, this super prominent man, why is there a prostitute standing next to him? And why is he giving her credit? Like sending a lot of mixed messages. On one hand, they called her a prostitute, which I keep saying, and I hate that I keep saying it, but that's just what it is. She was a ruined woman. She repented of her sins. She was saved by Jesus. And then they kind of like, branded her into like the Jesus groupie, okay? On the other hand, the other school of thought depicted her as Jesus's wife, his confidant, his muse, his stable rock. But like, then it kind of goes away. They don't really give her the credit or the justice that, I don't know, that I feel that she would deserve. Now, back in biblical times, they were more segregated than the South in the 50s. The women stayed with the women and the men stayed with the men. And there were a group of women that Mary Magdalene traveled with. And in this group of women, when they traveled together, like Jesus would spread his word and then Mary would be there. And she was like one of the only women that were allowed to be around Jesus. And she would spread the, he would, she would be there when he would give a lecture or whatnot, and then she would go back and she would tell these women. And it got me thinking, like, if she's the groupie and she's the one that's like the middleman and she's telling the story and Mary's the head of this group, it makes me wonder, like, what are they, what are you trying to prove? What message are you proving? Like, is Mary the head of like whores on tours? Like, I'm not sure, but we're going to get deeper into this. You ready? Plot twist time. So Jesus was actually a pioneer of his time. He actually supported women, but not only that, he empowered them. He totally just became my homeboy. I love it. So men and women were very segregated, right? Already said that. He actually invited women to start coming when he would preach and tell his stories and and he wanted to encompass everyone together. Well, that was like unheard of, right? So this made some of his disciples, the guys like in his squad, very uncomfortable, okay? Because, you know, people have their own opinion and their own school of thought. And after Jesus died, it was separated into two solid, very different lanes. One lane was going for the people that wanted women around a.k.a. Mary Magdalene and her harem of holiness. And the other one was the, were the ones that did not want her around. The ones that were against her said that she was nothing more than a washed up sinning woman, a whore, a girl that Jesus took pity on. 
So she spent the rest of her days repenting. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm not buying it. Because this woman, she followed Jesus. She washed his face, cleaned his feet with her tears, lovingly placed his burial garb on him, and was there to comfort his cousin and his mother after he died. I mean, all whores do that, right? Once they, but they see these men, they're smart. Because once they turned Mary Magdalene into the harlot, the prostitute, the ruined woman, not only did she become irrelevant, it diminished all of her credibility. So she couldn't tell her story. She couldn't really have any character or legacy to leave behind other than that. Well, that's really fun. Have you guys ever had that happen to you before? Someone maybe misjudge you, think something is one way about you, but it's the other. See, we're going to get that commanding conversation started. The other school of thought is that she was a leader. Look at what she did for a living. She had an elevated status and had access to classified information. And let me just tell you, people that know things that other people want to know, that's just a recipe to piss someone off. Okay, so remember how I mentioned those lost gospels? Well, get this. There was one according to Mary. And it was hidden for a very, very long time. And get this, it surfaced in Egypt in 1896. And guess what it said? You ready? It said that Jesus placed Mary above Jesus' other disciples in knowledge, influence, and attitude. And she is also featured all over the agnostic hidden gospels with the same description of character. The gospel of Philip said that Jesus loved Mary more than his disciples. Wait, wait, this is awesome. You guys will love this. He said that Jesus would often, openly, in public, kiss her on her mouth, on her mouth, proudly in public. I mean, it kind of made me wonder, like, were the other disciples a little jealous? Like, did, did they want a little piece of Jesus too? So today she's considered a canonized saint by the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, Lutheran churches, just to name a few. Her feast day is July 22nd. So, hey, you know what? We're going to cheers to her. But to me, the way that she's starting to unfold is that she's a saint in her own right for her resilience, her loyalty, her strength, fearlessness, and knowing her own integrity. I just wanted to take a brief moment to thank Spotify, Anchor, and Apple for giving me the opportunity to give you my commanding conversations. Without their help, support, and sponsorship, I wouldn't be where I'm at. So thank you so much, and check us all out on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple today. All right, now we're going to get, you know, a little more factual. I'm not making this a religious thing. I'm almost making it kind of like a soap opera story. It is said that Jesus was celibate. I have no idea why everyone is so fixated on this, but 
for a factual-based reference, there is not one word, not one word, in the four Gospels that are in the Bible to date that said that Jesus was celibate. And you're like, why are you focusing on Jesus? I thought you said he had enough attention this week. He does. He does. There's a, there's a method to my madness. So in the Gospels, she calls Jesus rabbi. Several people call Jesus rabbi. And rabbi means father or teacher. And guess what? Rabbis can get married. So if Jesus wasn't married, it would probably be more obvious than if he was. Because, you know, just like women can't go long periods of time without getting married and having a stigma. Same thing goes for men, too. But we're not here, again, remember, to talk about Jesus. He's getting his own day. We're talking about our girl Mary. There were so many references that alluded to the fact that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. So if this is the case, it's kind of shady. Mary was never given the respect or the title or just, I don't know, the common fairness that she deserved. I mean, think about it. Have you ever... I don't know, growing up, adolescence, adulthood, whatever, been with someone and maybe you didn't get the proper recognition that you deserved, that's not fair. You know, you shouldn't be someone's doormat. You should have someone who loves you and you should be, they should be proud to talk about you and especially if you're inspiring to them. So it makes me wonder, again, what are they hiding? Okay, another fact. The Gospels said, all four of them have the same story, that after Jesus died, Mary went to the tomb to prepare his body for a burial. Okay, it happens. Hey, guess what? We still died today. It happens. And this is the Gospel talking. This is not me. Then and now, no woman would be allowed to touch the naked body of a dead rabbi unless she was family. And no woman would be able to wash the naked body of a man, especially one that was whipped, impaled, beat, and crucified. She would not be able to wash the blood and sweat off of his private areas, let's be real, unless it was his wife. And then be able to later on go back and check on him. Think about that. So if she had the opportunity, and if you think of it this way, the privilege to be a part of his life and a part of his circle, why don't they want her presented with the respect that she deserves? That is like one of my biggest questions. The agnostic gospels, you know, those hidden ones, they must be hiding something good because they keep disappearing. They keep surfacing and then disappearing and surfacing and disappearing. They like to focus on the underdogs in the game of Christianity, okay? So automatically, I'm already a fan because I like to root for the underdog. After about the fourth century, they kind of phased out. And if you've heard some of my other podcasts, like and my other episodes, especially the Witch, Witch is Witch, you'll understand why this will sort of make sense. The church decided after about the fourth century that they didn't, want these people here with different points of view. You're not supposed to have different points of view. The Bible is the Bible is the Bible. They picked the books that went in there and we're done. So 
the more powerful part of the church decided to burn all their books. Cool. No books, no more private section of the religion. But, you know, they're not just going to stop there. Yeah, they burnt the people, too. That's, that's what they do. Christianity, they, they like to burn people. And it was the people that believed in that that went up, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There you go. They really like burning things. So as a result, until recently, we had almost no agnostic gospels to refer to. Ha, ha, ha. That's what you think. So in 1947, the truth came out, as it always does. In Egypt, there were agnostics that got their time to shine. Several of their gospels were found hidden in jars, and they all told the same story over and over and over again. Jesus was married. And more than this, the agnostic followers, it seemed Jesus' marriage and sexual activity were more important than his death and resurrection. So because people like to stay with traditions and they know what they know what they know, there was a statement that came out of Rome that said, simply put, that these agnostic people were more interested in Jesus's passion in bed than his passion on the cross. I am not commenting on that at all. So for Christians, she was labeled a lowlife, broken woman, whore prostitute. But for theologians and biblical scholars, she was portrayed a feminist pioneer. Well, this is the person that I want to hear about. She had a very unique name. Now, how you got your name back then is you were either Mary. So her name is Mary Magdalene. So she was Mary from Magdalene, a woman from the town that she was from, or the woman who took her husband's last name. But guess what? They found out that there actually wasn't a town named Magdalene. It actually means tower. She was Mary of the Tower because she was a pillar in the community. They also found out that she was independent. She didn't have a connection with a man because women were possessions. So like if she had a man's last name, then, you know, he owned her. But not only that, she's given proper recognition that she was actually, are you guys ready for this? a woman of high-ranking social status. <laughs> the whore rose, what can I say? It's said a couple times in the Bible that she's listed along with this woman named Joanna and Susanna, because, of course, every girl's got to have best friends whose names rhyme. And these women were of a high social stature because their mother was a high priestess. However... Mary Magdalene had a higher ranking title because apparently her father was a high priest. So not only was she of a high ranking status, she had money and she was educated and she was socially important and wealthy and could stand on her own. That could be intimidating, can't it? It's also said that she funded Jesus's ministry. So I guess that would make the pimp, the whore, the pimp now, right? I'm not sure. She was very, very, very highly regarded. I guess that doesn't hurt when your dad is Theophilus. You can Google him later. 
Hey, I just wanted to pop in and say thank you for tuning in to Commanding Conversations. Do me a quick favor. Go and smash that that thumbs up and that like button. Share if you want to and tell your friends all about it. Okay, thanks. Bye. I know this has been a very long story, so I hope and pray that you stay till the end because believe me, it's going to be worth it. And I thank you for staying with me this whole time. She was known in these hidden gospels. She was known to be Jesus's favorite disciple. She knows things. She knows where to be and what to do. And she got extreme public praise from Jesus. Now remember, women weren't worth a whole lot back then. So if Jesus liked her, There were a lot of enemies in the shadows that didn't. So here's some details that I love. She was at the crucifixion, right? And when Jesus died, (laughs) all of his buddies fleed. They all went home. They retired. I mean, they, they had a day, right? But she was there, and she doesn't really get any credit for it. But, you know, that's what women who love men do. After his resurrection, she goes to find him. And uh, the male disciples, they were clueless. They were like, what do we do? There was a point in one of the Bibles that said Mary was a prophet, which can be tricky because, you know, not only are you giving Mary credibility, you're giving her a title and status. Her special engagement to Jesus continues to this day. And I feel like there's more and more clues coming up on her. And it was so awesome, like looking up all these wonderful stories. Remember those lost gospels again? Well, here is a passage that, which features Mary and the, dis- and the disciples, I'm sorry, discussing Jesus after he's been gone. So to give you a little background, she, Mary is talking about a vision that she's been given by Jesus, right? Okay, so she's given this vision, and this vision acts as a guide or a compass to help find him after he's gone. Mary, it's kind of, um, the way that I'm picturing it, it's kind of like a video game. Mary has to navigate past many of these, like, dark entities and dark powers, and they're all forces that we deal with here in mortality, okay? She gets confronted and interrogated by each one, and then she has to, like, go to the next level and it gets a little more intense. We're not gonna go through all the dark arts right there. That's way too many for this episode. But I wanna focus on her specific interaction with the one dark energy that they call desire. So this force comes in deceptive and it teases and it taunts and it manipulates you in all forms, including sex. And they love talking about that or not talking about that in the Bible. This dark power called desire screams at Mary, screams at her soul, barking out accusations. And it keeps saying to her, why are you lying? You belong to me. You know that. Well, that's desire for you, isn't it? It's jealousy, accusations, possession. Desire thinks it owns people. Well, my girl Mary, her soul answered in an answer that will save all of us. And this is what she said. She said, I saw you, but you didn't see me or know me. 
You perceived the garment that I was wearing, but you didn't even recognize me. You own nothing. This, this is why I'm fascinated by Mary Magdalene. She is the woman who was trying to be seen. She's always been trying to be known and trying to be understood. But she was in such a debacle of Christianity that she couldn't do that. She couldn't do any of that because she was a woman. I have to say, may we all demand to be seen. May we all be recognized and may we all be remembered. So there is this new movement that they are trying to restore her reputation. And it all comes down to resurrecting, resurrecting her misunderstood, misinterpreted, misconstrued reputation. But what we're also going to resurrect is her legacy as the apostle to the apostles and the woman who stands for us all. Thank you for listening. I hope. So if we're going to wrap this up super quickly, and what I want to do is I want to leave you thinking. That's the whole point of commanding conversations. I want to make you think, right? And then maybe hopefully you could take what we've talked about and, you know, bring it to the water cooler closest to you. And then you guys can all go and kind of talk about this and see where everybody else's perspectives are. So if you wanted to take something away, and we're talking about Mary Magdalene, you know, like the secret temptress of the Bible, what would you think that she is? Do you think she's a whore, a harlot, a hero, or a leader? Let's go back and recap. She was there when Jesus needed her. And I'm a firm believer in being that person that should be there when someone needs them, right? Because to be honest, it says more about you than it does about them. You want to know that your conscience is going to stay in a safe spot to know that you actually did something. You did everything that you could, right? She could have left. She absolutely could have left, but she didn't. She stayed. We use her as an example that people can change, but we only focus on the negative things that she did. Let's be devil's advocate here. What about all the bad things that the men did? Are they absolved of all of this? No, we're just, we're going to focus on her. We are people who love to focus on misjudging others. But the truth is, is people's real personalities and their real colors, they eventually come to light. Her loyalty spoke for itself. I love this definition. It's the definition of class. Class is knowing that you can ruin someone's life, but you choose to remain silent. Judas totally threw Jesus under the bus, got him arrested, and started everything for the whole downfall. If she was afraid or if she didn't want to be a part of Jesus and if she didn't care about him, she would have been right there next to Judas. But she wasn't. Kind of reminds me of um, Hester Prynne in The Scarlet Letter. She had to wear an A on her sweater for her whole life because she was branded the adulteress. But she kept her mouth shut and she kept her chin high. And that A for adulteress later turned into an A for Abel. You never know the strength that you have until you have no choice but to be strong. So to all my girls out there who are misjudged, falsely accused, people like to just fill in the colorful blanks or use you as a scapegoat, I want you to know I see you. 
I see you. I've been there. I'm pretty sure you know you've been there too. So let's keep our chins up. Let's change our mindset from harlot to hero, from adulteress to able, to, from whore to warrior. Because you know what, ladies? We are turning pain into power. What I came up with is that Mary Magdalene had love, loyalty, intense strength and devotion for what she believed in. Whether it's Jesus, what he stood for, her integrity. She lovingly natured her partner in life and absolutely even more so in death. She sounds pretty remarkable. Jesus sounds like he was a pretty lucky guy. So my question for you is, what do you think? I hope everyone has a great Easter if that's what you choose to celebrate. I hope that your life blooms in the springtime season that's upon us. And I hope everyone takes this time to, ha- to manifest a magical day. And let's keep having some commanding conversations. Thanks. See you soon. Bye. I just wanted to thank you one last time for joining me. I'm so glad that you stopped by. I hope you had a good time and I hope you took something along for the ride. And remember, I want to see that smile reach your eyes. And until we talk next time, have an awesome, awesome commanding conversation. Okay, bye.